You are listening to the Hostage to the Devil podcast. Some listeners may find this content disturbing. Now, beginning in the 1950s, the CIA created comprehensive mind control projects to make or break spies and agents. The largest of these projects was MKUltra. Under the influence of MKUltra, the CIA turned friendly and enemy agents, politicians, and business leaders to its own purposes. To expose MKUltra was not only to expose United States espionage methods and techniques, but to reveal uh, the extent of CIA penetration of foreign governments and intelligence services. When a desperate group of rogue CIA agents and paramilitary operators plotted to kill President John F. Kennedy, they used Lee Harvey Oswald as a patsy. Once captured, his background would make the government stop anyone from asking questions. Oswald had been recruited by the CIA while in the Marines, and MKUltra had made him into an unwitting defector, taking false U-2 spy plane secrets to the Soviets. Lee Harvey Oswald was the MKUltra secret, and he didn't even know it. I believe we have reached a time in our country similar to what life must have been like under Hitler in the 30s, except we don't realize it because fascism in our country takes the benign disguise of liberal democracy. There won't be such familiar signs as swastikas. We won't build Dachau's and Auschwitz's. We're not going to wake up one morning and suddenly find ourselves in gray uniforms, goose-stepping off to work. Fascism will come, Huey Long once said, in the name of anti-fascism. It will come in the name of your security. They call it national security. <laughs> and it will come with the mass media manipulating a clever concentration camp of the mind. George Orwell's Ministry of Truth warned us, who controls the past controls the future. So listen as we discuss mind control and, the, and note that this man has had a considerable amount of experience with the spiritual realm and how it applies to our discussion tonight. You know, when you trace this stuff back, when you talk about the New World Order and the, and the, uh, you know, the advent of it, yeah. it has, in the 20th century, there's been a lot of, of, uh, of trails that have been left behind. That's right. To indicate that it's uh, it's there, it's alive, and it's well. And it's planned. And it's planned. It's planned. And, you know, you, you mentioned Hitler a little bit ago. Sure. I know that Hitler had a lot to do with mind control. Oh, he, he taught us how to exercise mind control psychologically. He gave us the, the tools. When we took Germany, we imported his mind control team of doctors. Right. And from that we've learned how to program. How to program. Yeah, how to program. And I heard you mention on another program the Greenbaum experiments. Yes. Can you elaborate on that, what that is? Well, Greenbaum is the name for... When, they, when the Nazis were looking for mind control, they developed the idea of programming. And of course, most of their subjects were Christians. And uh, in their evil... And their thoroughness, they chose the scenario for programming Christians. They chose the satanic black mass, which you know about. Right, and, and I find that very interesting that they chose that. Yeah. But for them, for Jews and for non-Christians, they were at a loss. But in their camp, and by the way, they had a special camp put at their disposal. They could do anything with the inmates. Mm -hmm. Kill them, torture them, uh, cut them up, uh, do what they liked. They um, found that had various Hasidim, Jewish Hasidim. And they found one boy who was 13, 
who was a Hasid, trained, and who knew the Kabbalah, the book of Kabbalah. Mm -hmm. So they said, we won't kill you, we'll feed you if you teach us about the Kabbalah. And the, the Jewish book, the Kabbalah, formed a scenario for non-Christians and for Jews. Now, what's the point of this? I mean, what was the point? The point was that I have to, now, if I want to control your mind, uh -huh. I want to give you a set of programs. By the way, they use the Greek alphabet from Alpha to Omega mm -hmm. for each of the programs. I have to give you a set of programs out of which, outside of which you can't move. And I can always evoke your response. For instance, um, Omega, we know, was the program given to somebody for self-destruction. And if that program was evoked by somebody who had been programmed, the moment the keyword, there was always a keyword, the moment that was uttered in his ear, he would kill himself. And there was one program which fascinated everybody. It was a program against being deprogrammed. And the difficulty was that if, if we discovered that you had been programmed, in order to deprogram you, we had to fight against an, an anti anti-programming program. Is that what I'm trying to say? Sure. And, um, well, Greenbaum, that's code name for this man, uh, was transported to America with the other doctors. And he became an American and took a medical degree and a psychiatric degree and now practices his trade. And uh, he has shown us how to program. has been used by several branches of the government. I take it this man is still alive? Yes. And he is probably affiliated with the CIA? Uh, the Army, rather. Okay. The Army, rather. But that's a, a whole thing. It's been studied by, by psychiatrists. Because psychiatrists got interested in the psychiatric community got interested in it from the point of view of MPDs. MPDs being multiple personality disorder people. That is, somebody who thinks that right. he is uh, John, Mary, and Joe, uh, all, uh, but in different personalities. And they found that... Um, uh, it was, uh, the information from the mind control people was very interesting from the point of view of uh, controlling the MPDs. Now, let me ask you this. When you're talking about building a, uh, uh, a procedure, a medical procedure, yes. uh, on esoteric religion, yes. does that imply that the people who are subjected to this become diabolically possessed or can be? They are. They are. It is a form of possession. Wow. Yeah. It's the Manchurian candidate in real life. Mm -hmm. and we know the Manchurian candidate uh, is... There, there was a general trend to seek mind control, not merely in the West, but in Russia, and uh, amongst the Japanese and the Chinese. Mm -hmm. it, was a, it was a generally a scientific quest. The Germans got there first, and... Um, uh, the scenario used is the uh, is the green bomb scenario, and it's there are probably I would venture to say, Michael, there are probably a couple of hundred thousand people totally programmed, living as normal citizens in the United States. Yeah, but ready to be activated with the somebody who knows their program and knows the keywords. This is very interesting because you know uh, the similarity between what you just uh, said and some forms of uh, what we call or what we hear to be alien abduction mm -hmm. say that these people say that that they fully believe that they are being programmed for a later date and that they have a mission they 
have. You always have a mission once you're programmed. That is what this happens. They start from the child is two, and there's a reinforcing at seven and fourteen, and it's confirmed at twenty-one, and then they're, they're made. And I've had people sitting in front of me on a consultation basis saying uh, my key words. I should let's write them down. I told the I will have to act by the phone or in my ear or in the street or wherever. It's incredible. Yeah, it sounds incredible and sounds sort of, you know... Well, sure it does, but... Uh, ridiculous, but it's... I mean, it went so far as it was used in, our, in the training of certain parts of our special forces. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole long story. That's another, another subject for another discussion. <laughs> After my own research into MKUltra about eight years ago now, I stumbled across an interview with Duncan O'Finian from Kerry Cassidy and Bill Ryan's Project Camelot. I'll put a link to the videos at the bottom of this podcast episode. Here he is now speaking to the two filmmakers about his own experience in the Ultimate Warrior Project. And like I said, we're supposed to live in a civilized free society. We don't. When they can walk in, take you as a child, turn you into a killer, and then use you, abuse you, and when you're, when you're done, throw you away. It shouldn't happen. I sit there and I start taking these puzzle pieces. This fits, this fits, this don't fit. And I'm going like this to a picture, and I sit back. The lady walks up to the front, the guy walks up behind me, she looks at him and smiles, says, we've got one, and that's when it started. That, that is where they were weeding out, who's good at this, who's good at that? Who's going to be a soldier? Who's going to be a psychic spy? Everybody knows that Hitler was looking for the ultimate soldier, that super soldier, ultimate warrior. Hitler was also heavily into the esoteric arts with mind control. And they, at that time, they started combining the two. Mind control, super soldier, ultimate warrior. They started putting it all together into one project. And that's where they got me. My kicks in my right leg were 120 miles an hour. My punching power was well over 18 to 1950 foot pounds. That'll bust concrete blocks. And I put three rounds through the heart of a very high intelligence official. This guy grabs me by the throat and I just snapped sideways, threw my hands palm down, just threw them down and screamed inside my mind. The guy goes, up and back. I never touched him. I look over and there's George Jr. sitting at the bar with the Secret Service bodyguards, drunk as a skunk, with the Secret Service trying to get him to calm down. Now, that's when I snapped awake. I don't remember driving there. Duncan, who is of mixed Cherokee and Irish blood, is now working in the field of demonology and I caught up with him during the first lockdown of March 2020. Let me preference this by saying, as I was a, a kid growing up, there were things that I knew wasn't right. Certain memories, certain actions, interactions, and stuff that I knew wasn't right. Constant reoccurring nightmares uh, of, of things and so on. I fully remember when I was a six and a half, something like that, being taken to a hardware store late in the afternoon by my parents and being taken into the back, into a back room and there was a whole group of other kids in there and in a nutshell I was asked to put a puzzle together, you know, wooden puzzle. 
I always thought that they were trying to find one thing, but I found that years later in adulthood, they were looking for something else. They were looking for what they called a receiver, someone who could receive psychic impressions and and whatnot, because the lady standing behind me was telling me where the pieces went. You know, I didn't know who was telling me, but that's how it started. And I got inducted into the infamous MK Ultra program that uh, they were doing back in the mid-60s and the 70s, taking children and using physical trauma and torture to split the personality to where they had a clean slate that they could train that person. And they did genetic engineering and they did this, they put implants in me. Some have been verified, you know, like the one in the left hand, the one in the right shoulder, so on, you know, they're on x-rays and whatnot. The one on the left hand used to drive people nuts. It would set off the alarms going in the stores, you know, so people are saying, okay, you shoplift and he's bringing it back, you know, something like that. <laughs> um, they made me physically faster, stronger, with more endurance. And I despise the term super soldier and die by all this and that. No, we weren't. That, you know, that brings up images of these hokey sci-fi movies and whatnot. No, that's not what we were. What we were were a group of terribly, horribly abused individuals that they implanted with technology that they could turn it on. The personality you'd be talking to now would disappear. A totally different personality would come out. And then we would go wherever they sent us, do whatever they told us to do. And then when we were done, they would switch, switch them back. And I was left going, where have I been the last three days? <laughs> you know, I would ask people, what, what have I been doing the last three days? I don't know. We haven't seen you. Things like that. And just like with my second wife, uh, <laughs> she witnessed me answering the telephone one afternoon. Never said a word. Her words. You never spoke. You laid the phone down, turned around, walked out the door, got in the car and left. I was gone for three days. Came back, woke up in the driveway in the car at like seven o'clock in the morning. And so when I realized this, and I was at that time I was 27, and I looked at the odometer. You know, I always kept odometer records for oil changes and whatnot. And I looked at it, and I only traveled less than 23 miles. And the only thing that I knew that was almost 11, 11 and a half miles from where I lived was the airport. I think I'm almost sure, can't prove it, of course, is I went to the airport, got on a plane, went somewhere, came back got put back in the car, drove home. What happened after all this, years later, is I was in an automobile accident. And I was rear-ended, and it was, man, it was a very serious accident. It shattered C2, 3, and 4 in my neck. And I was partially paralyzed for a long time in both arms. And it got worse over time. When I went to the ER, and they, re they didn't do x-rays, 
nothing. They just said, you get some whiplash, you take a Tylenol, you're fine. Uh, no, not when I started blacking out. So finally, they did an MRI. Well, when they booted that cylinder up and it started spinning, it felt like something, like a hot spike right here was just being hammered through. And it was like, imagine a thousand TV screens at once. And on all those screens is a memory. And they're just rushing and flooding and flooding. And I started screaming. I clawed my way out of the tube, fell flat on my face, shattered my nose. It was horrific. And all these memories were just coming back, coming back, coming back. And a lot of things from my past then began to make sense. And that's when I started my own journey with this, because I just wanted to find out what the hell happened to me. You know, besides me, who am I? <laughs> okay, who's this other person that comes out once in a while? You know, that, that kind of thing. They did each of us differently. You know, from what I felt was told by one of the overseers of the group that I was in. Yeah, this guy's name was uh, John Morrow. I even flew to Nevada to meet with him. And I remembered this guy in one of the memories. He, he was absolutely legit. was still feeding information back about me at that time. I didn't care. I just needed answers. What he related to me that in my group, because they were different groups all over the country and all over the world, actually. This is not subjugated to just one area. There were a thousand of us. Over 600 died during the process. Because what they do to you is they do the physical trauma to the point where your psyche has two choices. Split off to an alternate personality to survive or you die. And most of us didn't split off. They decided to die. And I've always considered those the lucky ones because what they did to us after that, no, it's just, it was horrific. And I've gotten a lot better with it. I don't have the nightmares with it like I used to, but when I do, they're bad. <laughs> I still don't sleep much. I'm a total insomniac. But the one thing that they did do with the augmentation process is it generated some very good healing abilities with me personally. I will heal from something in two days that takes someone two weeks. About three years ago, here, I'm in Houston, Texas, I wound up with seven bullet wounds. Three of them through and through. One of them nicked the female artery. And I'm laying there bleeding out after holding the guy down until the cops got there. And I'm blanking in and out a little bit. Paramedics have me on the gurney. And I watched the guy. He's saying, he's not going to make it. He's not going to make it. To but they couldn't stop the bleeding. But I walked out of the hospital the next day. Five days later, I was teaching a workshop someone who's gone through the augmentation process, how, how does one leave the, the program once, you, once you've started the, the ball rolling? That's tricky. Um, 
most people go their entire lives and don't remember until they're much, much older. Uh, as you get older, the programming begins to break down. Then it's granddad's, you know, talking fantastical stories and nobody's going going to believe it anyway. I would have to say on that end, yeah, I was lucky. If this had not happened to me, I would still be suffering from PTSD, not knowing from where it came, the nightmares. This is a two-edged sword for me. It really is. What was done to me was, was horrific. Now, I've had to make peace with that. Okay, and that's one of the things Malachi always talked about. That's one of the things I love the bank. He said, you have to make peace. You want to see somebody who was angry. David Banner, don't make me angry. You won't like me when I'm angry. That's the way I lived after all this for several years. And I couldn't live that way. I knew I had to get rid of it some way, somehow. And I worked and worked and worked and pushed it down and down, and I finally did. But one of the things that I came to realize once I subdued my own demon and got rid of it, caged it is more an applicable term, I caged it, is I learned that the augmentation process that they did on me actually allows me to do what I do better, easier, because of the increase in the strength, the stamina, so on and, and so forth. And so that, that's a double-edged sword for me, you know, and it's been trying to balance all that out. The ones I feel bad for are the poor bastards out there that went through this that have no memory of it, and it skips over into schizophrenia as they get older because they're shifting in and out of personality without realizing it, and it will show up as schizophrenia. Do you feel that the augmentation projects are still ongoing to this day? Absolutely. They, like any other technology going forward, it gets better and simpler and, and easier. I don't think they have to do the tremendous amount of, of trauma that they used to do. I mean, now it's more implantation and chemical. See, what they did with us is they gave us a drug cocktail when we were kids while they did the physical torture so that we couldn't black out. When you pass out from pain, that's the body's way of saving itself, of surviving, it's fainting. And not when they give us the drug, no matter what we were put through, you, can, you could not faint, we could not go away until you're forced to either split or the body just shuts down. I don't think they have to do that as much right now. I do know in satanic ritual abuse that is still their favorite method of turning people, especially kids. And that's why I go after these people as hard as I do because they're using the same methods on them that was used on me by the freaking military. And you know, anything anytime I can stop that, I'm gonna stop. I you know, I said years ago or several years ago that I was done. <laughs> I'm just going to do what I do and I'm done. I don't want to talk to people about it anymore, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But just like you, over the past six months, I am seeing things that I, I haven't seen before. And I've been doing this stuff most of my life, you know, and it is just getting so much worse 
nearly on a daily basis. You know, uh, we're seeing cases now that we're still trying to figure out. The things that I would use, say, 10 years ago, ain't working now. We're having to try different methods, different approaches, you know, and, and whatnot. These entities, demonics, whatever you want to call it, there are, there is a difference between the two, yes. But, you know, usually just for the sake of talking, we just lump it all into a ball and then separate the twine if need be. But these things are getting worse. They're getting stronger. They're, I think, you know, as Father Martin, and I'll tell you a little story about Father Martin, as he said, the veil is thinning. And he said to really watch for it. And one of the things that we do know is that an entity, an entity, an entity can combine their energetic force and create something stronger. So with the holes in the veil and these things coming through, they're just getting stronger and harder to deal with. They're getting more vicious. And I think we've all got our work cut out for us. Part of the problem that my wife and I have been seeing over the past several years, because we do all we do this together, is the extraordinary increase of the people wanting to know how to do witchcraft. And there's YouTube channel after channel after channel after channel, how to perform a, a love spell, how to get this guy to fall for it, how to do this, how to make my well, those things work, but <laughs> if you do not know what you're doing, you're going to unleash things that are going to come back and not bite you in the butt, but kick it. And once they're unleashed, it's ten times more difficult to send them back if they're summoned over. Yeah. You know, and I've noticed a huge influx of people playing with Ouija boards which is a huge no-no. Leave those things alone. Stay away from them. But uh, one funny thing real quick. Before Father Martin died, I was scheduled to meet with him. Oh, wow. I lived in Delaware at that time, which was just a day's drive from where I lived up to Manhattan. And I was working through his publicist, and we were setting up a meeting. I was going to meet him in a couple of weeks. I was going to drive up and meet with him and then I got the phone call you know that oh, wow. he had passed and it, 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 that was sad for me because I had read every book he wrote and I agree with everything that he wrote um, I was third order Franciscan for a very long time I became total dis disillusioned with the church as it is now um, I stayed with the Tridentine churches for a very long time, all the traditional Latin masses and whatnot. And I was actually in Sacramento, California several years ago. Um, Francis Quinn, the uh, former Archbishop of Sacramento, of that diocese, actually ordained me a lay exorcist. Nice. And I will never forget what he told me. He said, I admire you, but I pity your ass. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> it was, uh, and I'm like, wait a minute, I'm not sure I want this now, you know. But, you know, the deed had already been done, so you can't take it back. And 
but I, as crazy as it sounds, I enjoy what I do. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you know, you actually help someone. And as you mentioned earlier, uh, the father Martin had to walk away from a case. I've done that. I've absolutely done that. And there was a, a case that I did uh, several years ago in Michigan, way up, up north Michigan. This girl was a, a practicing psychologist, a therapist. And she had summoned something in 10 years before. It gave her a fantastic life. I mean, hot, fancy cars, you know, mansion, everything. And then her time was up. Yeah. And she came to us and knowing that it was coming after her. We performed the whole ritual, got rid of it. And I mean, I was sweating, I, I vomited. I mean, these things aren't easy, they're, they're difficult. And I just broke, stopped dead. And I turned around and I looked at her, I said, you're gonna summon this thing back, aren't you? And she just looked at me and said, yes. And I said, get out, out, go away. Yeah. And it, it just hit me, oh man, some of these people are just, I don't know. Yeah. I don't Before we go into your backstory, let's let's talk about sort of the now then with your wife. What, so what, what type of work are you doing with your wife? You... Uh, most of what we do, we call ourselves PTM, Practical Tactical Magical. We are very practical in what we do. We don't go elaborate yep. in anything. And because the more elaborate you create something, the more things are there that can go wrong. And you don't want anything to go wrong because you get one shot at it. You yeah. know, if you miss it, you're hurt or somebody dies, okay? Yeah. And believe me, I've been hurt. But, and then magical because it is magic. Magic is everything, it's everywhere. And the T is for, you know, tactical. We look at things in a very tactical situation. We devise the formula for helping fix someone's problem very tactically. It, it's almost like planning the military operation. You know, we have the backup plan, we can fall into it instantly if it goes south, so on and so forth. Um, we do exorcisms very rarely. Uh, mostly what we do is energetic clearings of people. People, houses, properties, etc. As an example, uh, the last big house job we did was a 17,000 square foot mansion. Wow. This guy had a couple of girlfriends from way south of our border that knew how to cast some stuff. And they had sent things into his, to his home and it took us two days of work because like, everything's practical. We have to go through and find the problem. Market, we use uh, the greater keys of Solomon, the seals to help locate. And because we, we use, you're gonna love this. We use the greatest piece of technology ever devised. A small piece of quartz on a parachute cord. <laughs> <laughs> what, it, what it does, if there's an, an opposite energetic force yep. that yep. should not be there. And just like on a person or in a house, it will torque the field in that area, it will cause it to spin where it shouldn't spin. And so we will go through the seals, put this down. So to stop it, no. Remove it, do another one. Does that stop it? No, do another one. 
that stops it. And then with, with that seal, we can then begin to formulate a plan, and we just call it a plan of attack. Because you have to go in and attack these things. I saw something years ago on one of these um, travel channel or whatnot, you know, ghost hunter type BS things. Yeah. <laughs> a demonic for, a demonic force is in this person's house. The guy's sitting there saying, we want you to leave. Please leave. Please go. And I'm like, you stupid. <laughs> you don't do that. <laughs> You know, you got you go in there and you scream, you cuss, you sling holy water, you know, you're slinging salt. It, it no, it's loud, it's noisy, it's nasty, and sometimes you get the repercussion. You know, you get hurt, you get cut. You know, it's you get scratched, clawed. It, it's nasty. But that's basically what you know what we do. Now, also, my wife is a clinical massage therapist. Uh, trained through chiropractic and physical therapy. So a lot of our weekly clients, or I should say our weekly clients until we got coronavirus locked down, mm -hmm. we haven't worked in two weeks, um, do a combination. They get the uh, uh, energetic field cleared, they get the energetic boosting, then they get the actual physical work. She specializes in shoulders and knees. Okay. So, but that's, you know, and we do, uh, we have done a more, uh, I don't want to say exorcism because that is a very specific term, more of a deliverance on people's property, their homes, their businesses, so on and so forth. That's not necessarily an exorcism, it's more of a deliverance. It's, pushing out whatever force is there. And then again, we use sigils, seals, prayers, and we seal the area so that it can't come back in. And then we go back in 10 days and we check it again and make sure that what we've done is holding. Interesting. So did, did you feel, what made you sort of move into that area of work then did you feel you were drawn to it you you, you said in previous uh, interviews that i've watched that you from an early age you had you, you 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 could you know you had these skills um what, what was it that sort of drew you into this ministry that's a question and a half i and and i've asked my own self that question <laughs> i remember asking myself that question picking myself up off the ground when this thing came out of a wall and threw me out a window i'm like why am i doing this <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I dealt with the supernatural and the paranormal since I was very young. Um, I had a demonically possessed grandmother. I saw her do things that basically came, would come out of horror movies. I mean, her eyes would go black. She could twist her head in very unnatural states. Um, I would hear the grunts, the growls, and she would only do it in my presence alone. And then when the other family would come in, bam, she's back to normal. And then blaming me for upsetting her. And I'm like, well, I didn't do anything. I didn't do, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I've always had what I would call supernatural dreams. And I had had visions since I was a child. You know, I would tell people something. I, I dreamed this or I saw this. And, you know, at that time, I was in eastern Kentucky, and you want to know, you know, about hillbilly? <laughs> this was hillbilly country. <laughs> and 
they didn't want to hear anything like that because unless you're in the minute the church a preacher or something ever like that and you're speaking in tongues or something then it's the devil talking to you and i'm like no it's it isn't i know the difference you know i learned the difference and i just knew that there was something there and then as i started getting older i started talking to priests asking questions and whatnot and i finally had one priest who didn't just shoo me out the door and i explained some of all this to him and i said i see things that nobody else sees it's like i can see the demonic in a person because it's almost like um an overlaid image on the person i can see it and i see that image turn and look at me while the the person's looking the other direction i could see this stuff as, as a child and so i talked to this priest and he only interrupted to ask questions at the pertinent time. I'll give the guy props. He was an excellent um, listener. And then he gets up and he walks away, goes into another room. And then he comes back in a few minutes later and he says, I don't know what you are, but you're more than a normal man. So he just go with your gut. And I, I did. <laughs> and then I started learning everything that I could learn. I started paying attention, and the main thing that I tell everybody that's in this to do, journal. Every job we do gets written down. How we did it, uh, all the notes on it so we can go back. If we find something similar, we can just flip through a journal and say, yeah, 10 years ago, right here, this is what I did. Let's try that. And I look back over some of these old journals and what, and I'm like, oh, man. I must have been out of my mind to walk in that house. <laughs> it, it's just, I, you know, I, I guess I would have to sum all that up is that I guess it was just a calling. And I have to admit it, not shamefully, that I enjoy it. Because I'll say it again, at the end of the day, I know we've helped someone. We've alleviated a force that they even didn't ask for, was sent to them by someone else, or by accident they brought it in. And nobody needs to live with that. And it's just, you know, you're not going to get rich on it, that's for sure. You know, the, we're donation based on what we do. You know, and I think. I got to toss this in, and because it goes in part with the question of what made me want to do this. There was this old couple, and they had some really nasty problems going on, and it took me all night. I was there in their house all night long, and it looked like an Appalachian cabin. I mean, this. And when I was done. They paid me with a cup of coffee and a bologna sandwich. That was my payment. And I was just as happy with that as a check for hundreds. I was actually more gratified with that because that's all they had to give. And that just made me feel good because I had helped those people. And I, I guess at the end of the day, that's all I can say is I know I helped someone. 
Yeah, one of the one of the biggest sort of feedback on on Martin and his his friends would say he just never had an ego. And although he, don't get me wrong, he made money from his books, and I know his, his literary agent made more than him. But you know, he he still made a made some money to for him to keep going. But you know, he had no ego, and he was purely you know there to help people, and and particularly around the Vatican II time. You know, he he arrived in America when Vatican II happened, and. He tried to modernise the church, and there was a lot of traditional Catholics who were looking for answers, and and he and he, he gave them the answers, and and again he used radio and TV as uh, as as a means to communicate his message about you know Christ and the devil, Lucifer, you want to call him. So it's you know it's he, he was a one-off, and there's been no nobody like him since, in a sense. But you you you've you've had a few appearances on television and, and and radio and podcasts and and do you find have you been receiving the same positive and negative and negative feedback from from your interviews i know maliki had a lot of um, mud thrown at him and you know and, and and he 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 would tell his friends not to retaliate not to answer you know not to answer them back just let them fling mud you know it, it's you know it's yeah it, it's it, so how it, have you found have you found the whole TV television appearance and the whole radio podcast appearances more of a positive or has it been more of a negative? We get both. We get both. Um, I actually looked at that a couple of years ago. I started going through all YouTube, all videos, and looking at comments that I'd never seen. And I'd say they're, they're about 50-50, but the negative ones are really nasty sometimes. And the positive ones are very positive. Um, yeah, that, that's just to be expected, you know. And we get the same thing. You know, will you charge for what you do? No. When we go out on a job, it's donation only. When we do the energy clearing with the body work, yes, there's a fee. That's how we make a living. Everything else is on a donation basis only. You know, and people, we get the same thing. If we teach a workshop somewhere, I've had to argue with people, and they would say, you know, if you really cared, you'd teach it for free. Okay, I'll teach it for free. Pay my transportation to get there, pay my insurance, pay my hotel room, pay this, pay that, I'll teach it for free. Yep. Because what little I charge goes for that. You know, yep. and then they're like, oh, well, Never mind. You you still don't care anymore. Whatever. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so I think one of the hardest things dealing with this right now are the love and lighters because they just don't get it. They just think by oh I'm projecting love and light on everything. It's going to be okay. Now, the more light you're trying to project out, the darkness is getting closer behind you. You got to turn around and look at it. You got to understand it before you can fight it. It's like that's what I, I always use the analogy. I fought professionally. I was a kickboxer for many years, and I said I needed to study my opponent as much as possible before I went in there. It's just the, the esoteric, the paranormal, all the, it's the same thing because it's constantly changing. It's constantly upgrading itself. As we said, as the veil thins, it's upgrading. And you can't just rely on one thing and just pushing out love and light ain't going to get rid of anything. Yeah. 
you know. A lot of people that I've spoken to who who are present during exorcisms and deliverances, etc., they they always talked about the feeling in the room at the time, and it's so hard to explain to somebody who wasn't in the room what the experience was like. You know, talk me through your. Have you got any um, sort of top top most memorable moments? I, I get sick as a dog. You can feel it. You can smell it. I get sick as a dog. Uh, my wife has actually had to leave the room for a few minutes to recompose to come back in. Um, no, and we, we both get headaches. And then what a lot of people don't know, I know Father Martin has talked about it, is the residual afterwards. It may be over for the possessed person or the client, but it's not over for the exorcist. Now we have to deal with the aftermath uh, because these things have what we call demonic 411. When you kick one of them's butt, they let the rest of them know it. And we, we say kicking his butt, but basically all you're doing is sending it back. It can still be resummoned. And when they get sent back, they don't like it. So when somebody else is blatantly stupid enough to summon it back, they like to extract a little revenge on people. You know, we have to keep our our apartment. I mean, it looks it looks like a, a medieval chamber or something. There's symbols and sigils everywhere, and we have to do the, the salt baths afterwards. We have to clear each other afterwards, and it, it's it's a it's constant. It's constant, and the more we do the more vigilant that we have to be to take care of ourselves because we don't need this affecting us. And it will from time to time. Yeah. You'll start saying things, you're thinking things that you sit back and go, whoa, wait a minute. That's not me. Where did that come from? And you know, you waited too long. Get in there, get the salt bath, you know, get the holy water, do, do the whole thing, get the residual out of you because the energy of the demonic itself is sentient. It's a, it's it's alive, and that's one of the things that most people don't don't realize. Even the energy around it, it becomes alive as it begins to spread. So even when you get rid of it, if you don't get rid of the energy, pretty soon you've got a secondary problem that you have to deal with. And we didn't learn that until several years ago. It's a continuing, ongoing process of learning. It's like being in perpetual college. Have you, um, do you have a case in mind? You know, you, you can change names for obvious reasons, but there, is there a case that stands out to you which really, really sort of you had a hard time to battle against or anyone that sort of, any case that's, you know, sticks in your mind? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Again, in Michigan, we worked up there for just about a year. There were two. One was straight up possession. Uh, some people have been trying to get him in to see us. We worked out of a shop up there for a long time, and he finally, they finally brought him in, and we locked everything up, and we had like three witnesses in there, and oh, geez, you talk about being spit on and punched at and multiple voices coming out, and then he would go into a rage of just crying, then he go into a rage of trying to get up and on and on and on. And we got one. And my wife says, we, you got it. I said, no. Because I could hear two voices laughing in my head. 
I said, there's two more. This thing took like two hours to do, and we were both just drenched. And we both had nightmares on that one for several nights. I, that, that's one that I would say was one of the hardest, just because of the physical, we had to hold him down. <laughs> but, you know, first we, we got his permission, you know, in front of witnesses. He said, yes, I want these things gone. And then when we set him down and he kept trying to get up and he said, you will not get rid of me, da, 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 and on and on it went. And the longer it went, the nastier it got. And we were lucky. We actually had a uh, counselor there. And so once we were done, she talked to him. And we actually heard from this guy uh, about a year ago. He's doing great. He doesn't drink anymore. He's got his life turned around. And bam. Um, however, however, before my wife and I started doing this together, I did a job in Salt Lake City, Utah. It was a demonic in a house. And when this stuff happens, you, the exorcist or the deliverer, what, 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 whatever, see things differently than the spectators. It's like time stops or slows down. What they saw was a bright flash. What I saw was this scaly, clawed, you know, whatnot. And after the flash, I had blood running down my arm. This thing had clawed me down my arm because as it was being pushed back, it grabbed. It literally wanted to pull me in with it. And after this was over, we got a light rain out of a clear blue sky and the smell of roses all through this house. I think visually and physically, that would be my top case to talk about. Father Martin warned in 98 about the, the increase in, of Satanism. You know, you, you're on the ground now. You've you, you got boots on the ground at the moment. So is Satanism as bad as Father Martin pre-warned in, in 98? Yeah, it is. Um, case in point, we have a client coming in from Los Angeles in two weeks. She was uh, satanic ritual abuse. And they bound her to them. So we get to break the bind. And that's always nasty. So, yeah, it is getting worse. But also, people need to understand a lot of what some people think is Satanism is just a bunch of ding-dongs thinking they're doing something. The true Satanists are the ones that walk around us in business suits or drive car, nice cars. They don't have all the inverted pentagram tattoos and we're always wear black, so on and so forth. Um, they're both increasing. You know, you get the studio practitioners who just think it's cool to try it out, whatnot, but the hardcore practitioners at, with uh, the saying that, yeah, it, it's definitely, we've been watching it increase exponentially every year, every season. Now, Malachi was absolutely right about that. And for somebody who doesn't really know, 
the, the binding process. You talk me through the case that you're going to be, for example, a satanic ritual abuse case. Talk me how you would unbind the uh, the sort of the satanists from from this victim. Everything that the satanic rituals encompasses is it's a spell. Okay, they use demonic forces or demonic energy to fuel the spell. Like in our case, we use one of the elements. Okay, uh, I love using wind and water to fuel. They use demonic energy, and believe me, if I have to, I'll call on an angel. I believe me, I've done it many times. I got no problem with that. But they summon demon demonic energy, and it's normally done when when they're young, and there is a binding done between the person with the coven. So that if they try to, it's almost like a religious cult where you can't leave. Every time they would try to leave, they just feel they're being pulled back. Um, what we will have to do is two, just two straight hours of this question and answer. We have to find out as much as we can. They're going to have to search way back in their memories and try to remember everything they can, no matter how unpleasant that it is. Uh, the more information we have, the easier it is on us, and the easier it is on them because it's physically draining on the client as well. And then we'll have to scan them with our little rock on a string and find the what we call the binding points. Where did they insert the bind into the body? It's normally in the uh, back of the head or in an area that we call the linden. Edgar Casey called it the Leiden. It's um, the vertebrae in the lower back that separates thoracic from lumbar. Physically, it's the weakest part of the spine. Energetically, it's the strongest. It's what uh, Edgar Casey deemed the seat of the soul. It's where all of our uh, energy emanates from, is that spot. And it comes up and then cascades back down and then circulates. Okay. When we do an energy clearing, that's what we're doing, is clearing all of that and what's inside. That would be the first thing we would do with, the, with this individual. Um, the other thing that we will do is to find it, as I said, find that spot. And what we've always found, 90% of the time, in one of those areas will be um, an energetic parasite. And we have to pull it out. And they never come out easy. They always, they burn, they bite. They, I've had one got loose from me years ago and it went into my hand. And you could literally see the skin rippling going up. And my wife had to pull that out of my hand. And this is what we'll have to do with her. And she can totally expect nightmares for several days afterwards within a gradual lifting of that cloud. It's almost like you're watching the fog burn off in the mornings. And then her her own cognitive cognitivity <laughs> will start to come back to the way it, it should be, to where she's not focusing on all that. But at the same time the what we will have to do is also do a ritual or a spell. There's not really much difference. 
for her on her to seal her so that this they can't because once she's free her cousin will know it and they will try to reestablish that bond and then we have to steal her so that they cannot lock on again and the only way they will be able to is if she goes back to the coven and then they undo what we've done which has happened a couple of times but when somebody does that to us we say sorry find somebody else but as far as anything in between we really won't know until we get her on the table until we do the assessment right um right let's let's maybe just while Father Bond's on our, on our minds, what was it that drew you to contact his agents and what was it that drew you to sort of want, want to talk to Father Martin? Was it certain qualities that he had or the books that he wrote, any particular books that he wrote? Uh, besides a great admiration for the man, I wanted to learn. I wanted to sit down and just pick his brain. Uh, I found out about Father Martin on an Art Bell show I had the radio on I didn't know you know and I woke up at like four o'clock in the morning hearing this guy talking and oh he's Irish okay you know, I'm half Irish and I'm listening to this guy and I'm like oh and so I'm half asleep and I hear him talking about this like, whoa wait a minute this guy sounds like he knows what he's talking about and I just kept listening and listening and then a couple of days later I went to the library found a couple of his books read them and just start, just kept on and on, and then uh, the opportunity became available for me to possibly meet with him, and was in the process of setting that up, and then boom. But yeah, I, I basically I just wanted to sit and pick his brain. I wanted his critique. I wanted his criticism. You know, he would probably be the only person I met in my life that could sit and criticize and chastise the crap out of me, and I would appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the only one who said I that, though. <laughs> I respected him. I had that much respect for him. That's, you know, because what he did, walking away from the Vatican, going to the Pope, asking to be re that took guts. I mean, that took a lot of courage. Yeah, and he was a, he was a Jesuit priest as well, so sort of the special forces of the Catholic religion as well, so... You know, yeah. He's a, he, yeah, he was a, he was he was a one of a kind. So, what what what's your theory of what's going on right now in the world? It's a fight between dark and light, good and evil, left and right, whatever. I said this in an interview twenty years ago that as we come closer to whatever you call it, Armageddon, Ragnarok, what you know, whatever term you want to use that final showdown is that before that happens there's two groups there's the dark and the light now each of the dark and the light groups have all these subgroups they have all these offshoot groups but there's also been this third group that stands in the middle that tries to hold balance between the two only letting each side go so far and I said in an interview the day will come when that third group steps back and just lets them go at it I think that's where we're at right now. They've stepped back, they're going to let them go at it, and they're going to fight it out, 
And I remember what Father Martin said on an interview years ago that there's old Catholic prophecy concerning the thousand day reign that it's not just the reign of Christ, it can be the reign of darkness. Because on the final day of judgment, whichever side has the most souls in their repository rules for a thousand years. And a thousand years, as we know, just means a long, long time. It could be eons. You know, it could be a hundred generations. Who knows? Okay. I think that's where we're at. This is a fight for the soul of the human race. Each individual soul and the soul as a whole. Because I was told by someone very, very knowledgeable and wise years ago that she, she says, look at the human soul as a small sun. That's the power of the human soul. That's why the dark side wants to control it so much. If they control your soul, they control your energy and your power, and they can use it. And I think to lead on into that a little more, we're going to start seeing more and more things like the coronavirus and whatnot, people losing their minds over a cold, and the media is so complicit in all this. They, they read what they're told to read. They say what they're told to say. We know that. And mass hysteria plays right into this. It creates chaos. And there are chaos magicians. They create chaos to feed off that energy. And then they take it, they refine it, and they use it to the way they want to use it. Now, the white side can do the same thing. But the human race is stuck in the middle of this big fight. And there ain't going to be no middle ground. We're all going to have to choose one way or the other. You know, it's like the turtle walking down the middle of the highway. Sooner or later, it's going to get squished by a car coming one direction or the other. We're all going to have to choose. You're a child who went through absolute trauma yourself and torture and brutality. Is it your now? Is it now your goal to to help protect and also to help save other people uh, from from the obviously the experience that you've been through? Is, is this your is this your goal now with your wife? Is is to help others and and to and to get get them get them through it all? That's correct. That's absolute. Well, what we would do, as I said, we'd have to get them on the table and pull the energetics out. And I act like a filter. And of course, I use a, a, a very specific stone in the hand. I pull it into the stone. I don't get it all. A lot of it does go into me, and I then you know I have to deal with it. And then I it acts like a filter, and then I push neutral energy into them. It's earth, fire, air, water, depending on what they need. One of the elements. If they're really um, hyped up, need to calm down. I'll literally pull up a very calm stream and push that vibration into that person and to calm them down. If they're weak, low, need to get moving, I'll pull up a, a, a surfer's wave, you know, that will juice them up and, and build them up. And the same thing with, with earth, with fire, with air, so on and so forth. 
and you know, if it's really big, I, I, I'll, I'll be praying. You know, while I'm while I'm doing this, you know, I'll be saying, hey, Uriel, you know, oh buddy, old friend, I could use some help on this one, you know. <laughs> so I mean, just just this this is definitely finishing now. Um, you know, we're 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 a small percentage of the globe. You know, the people who are who understand this dark and light battle, there's only a very small percentage of us percentage of us who who believe or who actually know what's going on. Do you have any advice for anybody? Well. Do you have any advice for the for the whole world when 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 their awakening happens very very soon? Any advice for them and with regards to if yeah. they're looking for questions? Yeah, don't just because you wake up, don't just jump and dive into something. Reassess your own life, your own values that you would have for something. Um, take some time, sit down and. Figure out what it is you can do as opposed to what you want to do. Because a lot of times what we want to do isn't what we can do. And if you really want, you know, you wake up and you want to help someone else, just assess and figure out what you can do. If it means learning how to do something, then learn it. But we're coming on a time that we're all going to have to depend on each other. Uh, the era of Everybody being a lone wolf ain't going to cut it too much longer. We're going to have to go back into the pack and circle circle up and protect each other is the way I see it. And try to keep, your, as the mass says, keep your hearts and minds pure as possible. You know, stop thinking about, I'd like to kill this person, I, you know. This person makes me so mad. Okay, they made you mad. Move on. Okay? Person cuts you off in traffic. Ah, oh, kill that. No, forget it. Don't do that. It's, it layers. It builds up. And it will put a dark impression on you. And the more impressions that you create on yourself, that darkness is just waiting for your dark tank to be full, and then it's going to grab you. Just try and keep yourself pure. I don't mean go around singing praises and, and, you know, be trying to act like an angel. No, we're not. Okay? But tone it down. It's the best advice on that I can give. And just keep an open mind and try and learn. You know, go back and read what Father Martin wrote. Listen to a lot of his older interviews and some of these, these other people. And, oh, by the way, I knew, I knew Ralph Sarchi. We've had, back in that day, we had many phone conversations late at night. He's was a great guy. Um, I haven't talked to him in years. Yeah, he's still, uh, yeah, he's still Ralph. <laughs> don't worry, he's still the same. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't doubt it. He's under, he's under massive quarantine right now. <laughs> I'd say so. Yeah, I mean, it, my my first phone call with Ralph about six years ago now. This this is even before the hello. He said. You know, he was very, you know, he was very protective of his mentor. You know, and again, again, Father Martin was his mentor at the time, and he was very protective. And you know, as as all his close friends were, and and he was literally just gave me a little bit of a warning over the telephone. And, and you know, I, I took it, I took it, I understood where he's coming from. But no, we 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 we, you know, we're friends. We're still friends now, even when the film was released. So it's uh, no, he's a character, and he's yeah, he's he he is you know he is what he says he is. He's, he's there's no bullshit with him. Ralph is you know. He's one of the good guys. Very mis misinterpreted, but yeah. he's, a, he's a great guy. 
I was actually just thinking now in my head when I was listening to you speak, but you're actually a, you, you do you do remind me of Ralph, but you're not as intense. You're sort of like a, a four le- four levels below Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> I used to be more like Ralph. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I can imagine that, but no, no, it's sort of a. <laughs> I want to plug something real fast. My wife hates it when I talk about it. Go for it. it. No, go for, yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah, she'll get over it. <laughs> but I credit her with bringing me down to where I am right now. I absolutely do. Um, I would be completely lost without her and it is great to have a mate that you live with and you work with every day that you're on the same page with every day doesn't mean we don't argue we, we will argue but we arguing on the same page to get to the same point to find the answer you know and I love it. I love. It. I. I. I wouldn't give this up. Let's close with: Are we all doomed? <laughs> no. 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 We just life just recycles. I mean, you know, it, even I've read a lot of the very old old writings. Even if this planet were to be destroyed today, we'll just get recycled back in another energy energy form somewhere somehow that in a lot of ways is very comforting for me because i'm not afraid to die um i don't want to but i I don't have that fear i was able to let that fear go but no we're not all doomed a lot of people are absolutely and there's no way to change that because you cannot subjugate someone's free will they have to make the decisions on their own and that's the sad part for me. So, on that one, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> Brilliant, mate. That's perfect. That's us, mate. Thanks for your time, Duncan. Uh, thank you, man. I yeah. enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to our podcast. And remember about our Facebook page where you can find out more information about our documentary. If you have some spare cash, then please buy us a coffee over at buymeacoffee.com forward slash HTTD podcast to help us keep this podcast going and it would only be right to finish with the main man himself what is the what's the future of all of this I mean there's a, there's obviously you know this is obviously networked into the whole new world uh, order and networked into our armed forces and networked into our government right. and networked into the drug trade which has now got the tacit cooperation of governments and banks Come on, let's be, let's be adults. Where is this going to go? Uh, unless God intervenes, the total destruction of this civilization. The only one we know. Unless God intervenes. Is God going to intervene? I suppose ultimately, yes. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that uh, we may have life and not eternal death, mm-hmm. says the scripture. But... When? That's, that's about that the prophecies differ.